0: Son, the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. Will never perish, but has eternal life. Father, today we also want to pray for uh, all of the, all the folks in the, you know, the body of Christ who are going through difficult times. Father, we want to uh, give a prayer of thanks for the recovery. We want to pray, Father, for uh, the friends of uh, Karen Kaufman today, who, uh, who is with you today. We thank you for allowing us to come here together today to hear your Word and to fellowship with one another. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and join us in worship. Good morning again, everyone. You know, every time we sing that song, just a closer walk, at some point when we're singing, I don't want to just start dancing the foxtrot. Because that's, it's, well, you laugh, but it's actually, that's the, uh, it's easy. One of the easiest things to dance to is that steady beat, one, two, one, two. Well, welcome again. I have a few announcements this morning, just a few before we get started today. Um, this month we are featuring and hoping that you check out the ministry Grace Bible Church Pakistan. This is a picture of them and their young, Some of a small number of their young people. Um, They have a lot of orphans. They also um, have an academy for grades 1 to 12. And they also go into the villages where they teach and train the gospel to the people that live there. Every year they have a, a special event where they give Christmas gifts to all the young people that they serve and minister to. Um, uh, The students that are part of their academy as well as the children in the village. And uh, their goal this year is to to have collected $17,000 from the churches to uh, make this the best Christmas ever for the young people. And so uh, we all want to support that if we can. we've, We've been supporting it, and we're going to continue to this year. And so if you would like to contribute, just make a check out to the GBC Pakistan, Grace Bible Church Pakistan. If you'd like to support the students at the academy, you can note that. If you would rather just support the village children, you can do that. Or if you don't put anything down, they'll just use it where they need it. So, again, Grace Bible Church Pakistan. The deadline for the donations this year is December 1st. December 1st, which I believe is a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. In any event, um, wonderful organization. God is blessing um, Grace Bible Church Pakistan tremendously. Um, They recently had a discipleship conference, and the place was packed. There must have been 200 people there. So please continue to pray for the protection and growth of that great ministry, Grace Bible Church Pakistan. Okay, in the back we have Bibles. In case anybody needs one, raise your hand, and we'll make sure that you get one. The title of today's message comes again from 1 Corinthians 12, and it is You Are Christ's Body. You are literally Christ's Body. We're going to see what that's all about this morning as we continue in the letter of 1 Corinthians. I'd like you to turn it this time to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Last Sunday, we left off at verse 26. Today, we pick it up again in verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Again, just to remind everybody, three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians are all dedicated to the subject of spiritual gifts. 12, 13, and 14. So this gives you a sense of the importance of him addressing both the wonderful variety and also the problem that's being caused because of the gifts being misused. That's in chapter 14, and we'll get to that before long. But today, let's start in verse 27 of chapter 12. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. As we complete chapter 12, In these verses, 27 to 31, one thing Paul does is he restates his argument, his message, his main theme of this chapter. In verses 27 to 31, much of what he says here he has said earlier. I'm sure you hear echoes of what he said earlier in the chapter. At the same time, he also introduces several new elements in order to complete his teaching on this subject. Now, we will pay particular attention to those new elements while also reinforcing the main points, just as he does here. I want you to keep in mind something about the church in the first century. These letters, the entire letter, were were read aloud in one sitting. Think of it. Think of my reading 1 Corinthians 1 through chapter 15 in one sitting. Okay, That's a challenge, but it's the way they did it. I know, now you've got to understand that it was a big event whenever Paul would send a letter to one of the churches. They were excited to learn what he had to say to them. In this case, they wanted to know some question, the answers to some questions they had sent him in writing. So that's what this letter does, but it's all read aloud in one sitting. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there were no copy machines in the first century. So there was that one text, just one copy of it, that was read aloud to the entire congregation. Because of that, saints, in order to learn and retain, they didn't have it written down, so they had to rely on their hearing, and especially their memory. You know what aids memory? Do you know what aids memory? Do you know what aids memory? Repetition! Repetition is critical for the memories to be secure and permanent. Now, when you have a new item that you want to add and you want to make sure people can add that to what they've already heard and learned, then if you repeat it and then add the new element, the, the listener has an easier time picking it out, learning it, and adding it. Okay? Like the song we can sing every Christmas. I don't know if you've ever gotten from 1 through 12 correctly, but many of you might know what this is. The 12 days of Christmas, right? And how does it go? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. Then what? On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves. Yeah, he continues, doesn't he? He it repeats, and that's the way you remember. You only have to remember one at a time. Can you imagine if he sang all the way from twelve? Whoever wrote this, from twelve all the way to one, one time, and then turned. What do you think? What do you remember? Not much. So repetition with addition, is the great way to learn. And that's what Paul does. He's repeating now things that he's mentioned, in many cases, several times already in this letter in different ways. He's repeating one more time, and he's adding some new elements to it. All right, let's begin with the statement in verse 27, you are Christ's body. Notice how simple that statement is, how direct, how clear. You equal Christ's body. Well, we've seen that Paul in verses 12 to 26 picked up and brought to them a metaphor. Remember, a metaphor is something that you understand being related to something new. right? People understood the human body. I mean, all of us to some extent understand the human body because all of us have one. So he took something they were familiar with to teach them something they were missing about the church. But it was a metaphor. He would say... Just as this is true of the body, so this is true of the saints. Okay? So, in verse 27, though, he does something different. He dispenses with the metaphor and he comes right out and says it. He equates the saints with the body of Christ. You are Christ's body. You are the body of Christ. I want you to go back to verse 12 of chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12.12. 12, 12, 12, 12. For even as the body is one, the human body now, it has many members, and all the members of the body, hands and feet, eyes and ears, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. Notice the so also. Even as, so also. See, that's the language of metaphor. Just as you look at the human body and you understand there's many members of the body, but they're all one body in the same way, that's the way Christ is. Now, that would be a hint, an inference, right? That, that since we are members in the, in the body, that there would be a connection between what we are doing together and Christ. So he gets us part of the way there. But going back to verse 27, he no longer says, just as the body, so that. Notice he says directly, plainly, what he only inferred earlier in the chapter. He states plainly here that the saints are Christ's body. You can't miss it. You can't miss it here. In verse 27, he equates the saints with the body of Christ. No longer is Paul speaking in metaphor. He's no longer saying just as this, so that. Right? He is stating it directly. Are, you are body of Christ. The unity of the saints in our different roles and gifts equals the body of Christ. Verse 27 again. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ and members as parts of the whole. And he's saying no longer am I speaking metaphor. I'm talking literally to you and I'm telling you as members one of another with your different gifts and roles are the body of Christ. Back though to verse 13. Remember, he's repeating and adding. Look at verse 13 and 14. Verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. This is talking about the baptism by the Spirit into Christ, and also, drinking of the one Spirit is the indwelling of the Spirit. He's teaching two tremendous truths about what happened to us in relationship with the Spirit when we believed in Christ. We were baptized into one body, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. But I want you to notice in verses three 13-14, Christ is not yet mentioned. Here, the agent of all this is who? The Holy Spirit, exactly. We're told that the saints are placed into one body, but not yet is he revealing the fact that the body we're all members of and placed into is the body of Christ, but that's exactly what we're told in verse 27. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it as parts of the whole. Okay, with that new revelation now, what is it? That you literally are the body of Christ, Paul goes back, see how he's going, he'll go back here to the main subject of actually chapters 12, 13, and 14, the spirituals. Now, I put it that way because, first of all, the Greek doesn't have gifts when he talks about spiritual gifts, it just says spirituals. But the other reason I'm I'm using that term more generally is because now, for the first time, Paul is going to speak about gifted men. He's, in other words, it's not, no longer is it just the gifts he's talking about, but he's turning also and saying the men with the gifts. So that's an adding on. Uh, and that's what the, why I want to use the word "spirituals" as it is translated directly from the Greek in order to see what he's returning to. Look at verse 28. I want you to notice for the first time in this chapter, he talks about men who are gifted and are appointed. Notice. God has appointed. Who is appointed? God is appointed in the church. First, apostles. They're they're first, foremost, sent by before anybody else. And then second, prophets. These are in a rank order here. We didn't see that before, but this is what he's doing here. He's giving a rank order uh, of priority at a certain extent of importance. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Then he dispenses with the numbering system, right? Then miracles. Miracles is still still separated as its own thing where it focuses on it. Same thing with gifts of healings. Then gifts of healings. And then he dispenses with any modifier and just states the last three. Plainly helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Now, in verses 8 to 11, we heard something similar. But there it was the Holy Spirit... That was the one who is distributing the gifts. Go back to verse 8. 1 Corinthians 12.8. I want you to notice some differences with that and with verse 28. Between the two. But we'll get to that. First Corinthians 12.8-11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. And to another the word of knowledge. According to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Now, so far, that's the first one that he repeats in verse 28. In verse 28, he doesn't talk about the word of wisdom. He doesn't talk about the word of knowledge. He doesn't talk about faith. The first thing that is repeated in verse 28 is gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. That's, that's in both. And to another, prophecy. Yep, that's in both. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. That's not in verse 28. And to another, various kinds of tongues. That's in there. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. He doesn't mention that in verse 28. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Notice in verse 11, what does the spirit do? He distributes to each one individually, just as he wills. In other words, he, he, dis, he distributes a gift to each individual member, according to his desire and plan for them. The Spirit is the agent, and he's distributing the gifts. So what we learn here is that the Spirit distributes the gifts. In other words, here's yours, here's yours, here's yours. But then God the Father appoints people. So in other words, somebody who has a gift, a communication gift, has that gift. But then you have to wait until God appoints you to exercise the gift in the way that he has decided he wants you to exercise it. Those are two separate things. And notice they're two members of the Trinity who are doing their own role. It's amazing that the the Trinity itself is willing to have roles assigned to each person. And yet, so many individuals in the church don't want to make it all part of a team effort. They want to be solo artists, right? But God isn't. God is a team. All right. Back to verse 28. God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, fourth, no, not fourth, then miracles, no numbering anymore, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. I hope you can see here already that he's placing them in an order. And that is first and foremost, the apostles. But for all, if there's no apostle, there's no written word of God, ultimately, Right? It's the apostles that reveal the word of God. They also, Paul in particular, revealed the gospel that was revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ directly. That has to be first. Now today we don't have apostles. But today what's first is the evangelist. There's no church without an evangelist preaching the gospel to a group of people. That's the first step. First, apostles. Second, prophets. They follow on. They're second in rank, in order to follow behind the apostles and to pick up where the apostles left off. And then the same way, third, teachers. They pick up where the prophets leave off. Can you see how that is? It's a rank, order. Apostles, then prophets, then teachers. And that's the way, as it were, that God sent them to the congregation. First, the apostles came. We see that with, with Paul's mission activity in the book of Acts when he was going from location to location, preaching the gospel, and then it, when he, then he taught for a little while, and then he left, well, the people still need the Word of God when he leaves, and so that there would be the prophets that would be in place to, to give more of the revelation that would, that would follow on after what Paul had given them. And then once the prophets have done that, now you need to take that body of teaching and then have it repeated, applied, and that's the teacher's role. See how how it's wonderful how God puts this together in a certain order? Okay. God has made His appointments in order of priority. Who did it? God did it. Did the church do it? No. No, God did it. Did somebody's wife do it? No, God did it. I'm kidding. Only a little. Well, I mean that because now we say behind every man is a good woman. Well, oftentimes, behind every man, there's an uh, ambitious woman. And so, very time, many times, a woman would be the one whispering in the ear, saying, you know what, you could do this better than the pastor. So, anyway, God has made his appointments in order of priority. I want you to see that. The first three, apostles, prophets, and teachers. By the way, they're outstanding in two ways. For one thing, God, in the word of God here in 1 Corinthians 12... 28, gives them a number. They're given in rank order. We haven't seen that before. We haven't seen that before. We've seen the gifts explained and mentioned, but not in an order. Here God says, now I'm going to show you an order. I'm going to show you that the apostles are first, the prophets are second, the teachers are third. By the way, what's last? Yeah, the various kinds of tongues. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting because that was the gift that was prized the most by the Corinthians. Because it was spectacular. Unfortunately, they were using that gift to create rivalries and divisions. And making one man self-important, I think, at the expense of all the others. That's the problem that Paul's going to have to deal with. Later on, he's dealing with it already, though. Because he's saying, you know what? As God appoints, the last thing is the gifts of tongues. Various kinds of tongues. Now, the apostles, prophets, and teachers, not only are they given rank, first, second, and third... But they are talking about men rather than manifestations of the Spirit. And we haven't seen that before. The point is that God appoints men to carry out missions. Right? Didn't Paul have a mission? Wasn't he appointed and sent by the Lord Jesus Christ himself with a job to do? Preach the gospel to the Gentile world? So they have a mission. God gives them the mission. Okay, they have to be gifted first. They have to have the gift distributed. Or gifts, by the way, in the case of the apostles, a unique category. And then they were called to carry out a mission, but they were appointed by God the Father to carry out that mission. Now, it's interesting, too, that all three of that, are first, second, and third here, are appointed to communicate. See, the communicate the message, God's message to the people. Or what we would say today, the Bible to the people. It wasn't written yet. Because actually the, how they communicated, especially the apostles, provided the information that would then be captured in writing in the word of God. We call it the New Testament epistles. So that was the job of the apostles and the prophets and the teachers, to communicate God's message to the people. I hope you see that that's, that's the most important thing about a church, is that the word of God is being preached. That's first, not the only thing. But that's the first thing. You see, the other things come along, but they, they are not able to be developed without the Word of God. So that's the first thing he's going to take care of. He's going to appoint men to communicate the Word of God to the people. Again, once again, though, notice who appoints him. Not the pastor, not even an apostle. The apostle is appointed. No, very simply, God makes the appointments. What does that mean? What's the application? What are the implications for the church today? Well, do we still allow God to make the appointments? That's the question. So in other words, there are no search committees in all of this. You know how it is a pastor moves on and there's a search committee that is put together to find the next pastor? Well, we don't see that in verse 28. Who makes the appointments? God does. God appoints the men to serve in a certain capacity in the church. Now, what's our job as the church? It's simply to recognize what God has done. Recognize what He has done. That's all we need to do as a church. The Spirit distributes a gift like a communication gift. God appoints men to use their gifts to carry out their mission to serve the church in different capacities. First, apostles. Second, prophets. And third, teachers. Again, notice they are ranked in order of priority. In other words, God appointed the apostles first. They were sent out first. If you want to think of this as a military campaign, the marines were the apostles. They were the first to land. They were sent first. And then behind them come the prophets. And behind them come the teachers. Now, what about apostles? Who were they? Well, for one thing, apostles had seen the risen Christ. That's mentioned again and again as identifying a criteria that has to be met in order for a man to be appointed by God to be an apostle. Now, by that, I hope you can understand that Jesus Christ is not continuing to come on down in his resurrection body and appearing to people today. You hear a lot about that, but it really, the God's word doesn't make any room for that after the first generation. In other words, there are no apostles today. There are no apostles because they haven't seen the risen Christ. But in that day of age, then they were entrusted with the message of the gospel. And they were sent by God to preach the message of the gospel to the known world, especially Paul. Now, if you look in the book of Acts, you'll see that at the early stages of the church in Jerusalem, and Peter and James are associated with that. But they don't go too far away from Israel, about as far as they get as Antioch. It was Paul, actually, who picked up the mantle, and he went... To the known world in the Roman Empire. So he was the one actually who went out to the Gentiles and preached the gospel to them. In any event, he's an apostle. That's what apostles were to do to come to the first place, preach the gospel, and also to develop in a certain limited way their understanding of the principles of Christianity. So the apostles founded the first generation of churches. They possessed unique gifts, they were communicators. They were also the vessel by which God performed miracles and healings. They were also gifted with a a sense of strategy and purpose and administration, leadership. So, and their authority, by the way, was great. It extended to many local congregations. But whose authority extends to many local congregations? The apostle. What does that mean? Not a pastor today, okay? Not the Pope, not a bishop. But the only gift, the only order of priority, the only appointment to have authority over multiple churches was given to the apostles in the first generation. After that, no longer do we have apostles on the scene. Therefore, no longer do we have men who have authority over multiple churches. Make sure you understand that. So again, there's a difference, though, between a manifestation of the Spirit, like prophecy, like miracles, and the men... Like prophets who functioned in a certain role using their gifts. Once you again see that order, spirit distributes a gift. It's a manifestation of the spirit. Prophecy was a manifestation of the spirit, but then God appoints the men. Now he's not, not talking about prophecy anymore, but prophets who functioned in a certain role as appointed by God, using the gifts that they were given. So then we see here, also in verse 28, he now talks to gifts. He says, there are gifts of miracles and healings. Notice that. He doesn't say there are men of miracles or there are faith healers. He said there's a gift. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that no matter who you talk to about, with the possible exception of the Lord Jesus Christ, though even him actually, um, didn't, didn't perform miracles all the time, didn't always heal people. There remained you know, sick people in Judea, in Galilee, when, as Jesus Christ com- completed his ministry. So much more so, by the way, Paul. There were a few times when he first came to a location where, he, where the Lord worked miracles through him, worked gifts of healing through him. But it wasn't the man. It was the Lord. And he did it for a purpose. Always a purpose to give a sign of something important. In the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, a sign that here is the Messiah come. The Old Testament prophets talked about the miracles and healings that would happen when the Messiah was on the scene. And that's why Jesus, God the Father, appointed him to perform those things. All right. So there are gifts of miracles and healings. And then there were men who were appointed as apostles Prophets and teachers, men. I want to make sure you grasp that distinction. In other words, we know read nowhere about faith healers. That's not in the Bible. You might think that's surprising. No, gifts of healings are. But it's God's sovereignty that decides when that gift will function, who gets healed and who doesn't. No such thing as a faith healer. No such title as miracle worker. Right? No. That's not a title. That was how God used men in the, in the early church in particular in order to demonstrate and validate the message that they had. It doesn't, now listen, God can perform miracles any times he wants to. All right? He's still in the miracle business. But there's not a title on a man saying miracle worker. Let's make this, see the distinction between those two. Gifts of miracles, gifts of healings. And God decides... Who decides? God. Does the, does the faith healer decide when it's time for, for his work to be televised that he can bring on people to the stage and he'll heal and Boom. No, that's a fraud. Why? Because they're the ones that are deciding where and through whom these gifts will operate. That's a fraud. Okay, That's not from God. God himself decides when and where and through whom he will have these gifts operate. In other words, it was God deciding, okay, Paul, now um, you're going to be working miracles through my power, where, let's say, in Ephesus, when he first was on the scene, and he picked Paul to be the vessel of those miracles. How they operate is up to the Lord. Well, that's interesting, because, you know, in any culture like ours, like Corinth, that rewards self-promotion, the focus will be on the man, right? That's part and parcel of how our culture operates. We glorify individuals. We want people to compete for who's the best at this and who's the best at that. But there's no place for that in the church. Why? Because God's focus is not on promoting and glorifying a man. His focus is on having those gifts in operation to build up the church. That's what he wants to do. Now, I want you to think about this, too. That There are two offices that are mentioned in the New Testament that are not mentioned here. What are they? Deacons and elders. Isn't that interesting? Here he is talking about God appointing people, and he doesn't mention elders, and he doesn't mention deacons. Now, why would that be? I'll tell you why. It's because elders and deacons are appointed by men. They're appointed by men. I want you to see this. Please go to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. They are appointed by men. Titus appointed elders. But God is the one who appoints apostles and prophets and teachers. Notice Titus five. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Here Titus appointed elders, a man, under the direction of Paul, a man. But God appointed apostles, prophets, and teachers. I want you to see that distinction. It doesn't mean that men don't appoint people, but it depends on the office. In other words, elders and deacons are not the communicators, right? They are there to, to, to basically be leaders in the church, taking care of all the wonderful things that, that Steve and, and Mark and uh, Jack take care of here, okay? But the communication gifts, God reserves for his own appointment. I want you to see that in operation again. Ephesians chapter 4, whoops, there it is. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. A lot of, you know, we teach this passage when we teach spiritual gifts, but I want you to see a distinction here, okay? We're going to see what is here and who gives what is here, all right? Ephesians four eleven. Notice this. And he, and he, gave some as apostles. By the way, he here is the Lord Jesus Christ. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some as apostles. He gave some as prophets. He gave some as evangelists. And he gave some as pastors and teachers. So what do we have here? Well, we we see here that our Lord Jesus Christ gives the men, right, to the church but the men who are appointed by the Father. okay, He's under the direction of the Father in giving the gift of people to the body of Christ. Again, He, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave some as apostles. It doesn't say He appointed them, it says He gave them. He gave some as prophets, He gave some as evangelists, and He gave some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. God's Word, communicated, equips the saints for the work of service. It also builds up the body of Christ. The Word of God builds up the body of Christ until we all attain, notice, to the unity of the faith. What promotes unity? How do we preserve the unity of the Spirit? By learning the Word of God and growing up in it. And to the knowledge of the Son of God. There's there's infinite knowledge that we need to have about the Son of God, by the way. Some of which we won't know until we're with Him, But we do have a body of teaching about the Lord. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ is featured in every book of the whole Bible. A lot of people say he's in the four Gospels. Certainly he is. But he's mentioned or referred to in every book of the Bible, beginning with the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. But we find out that Jesus created all things. See, he's mentioned in every book. And so that's another purpose of the the communicators, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to have the whole congregation ultimately being built up in unity, being built up in the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Look at how lofty the the goal, the design of the church under the teachings is. The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We are the fullness of Christ in this world. So here's what we have. God the Father appoints apostles, prophets, and teachers. God the Son gives these men to the body of Christ. You see how they all reserve some duties for one another. Okay? Now, this is the men. All right, The Spirit distributes the gifts themselves. Healing, communication, and so forth. God the Father appoints the apostles, the prophets and the, teacher, the teachers, and God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, gives these men to the body. It's a wonderful thing. see all three members of the Trinity working together. There's a distinct order also in the manner in which each member of the Trinity functions. Spirit distributes the gifts. The Father appoints the men. The Son gives the men to the church. Beautiful. Back in verse 28 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And God has appointed in the church first apostles... Second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. What comes first? the apostle, the very first thing is the Lord sends an apostle to a geographic location that 's first, that's primary. He receives his commission directly from the Lord that 's another way of understanding the uniqueness of apostles, right the the, 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 the eleven. Judas, not, not there anymore. They received the commission from the Lord to go out into the world, right, and preach the gospel, the 11 apostles, okay? But then Paul, okay, is appointed by God the Father, and his mission is to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, James and Peter and John preached the gospel to primarily the Jews. Paul preached the gospel primarily to the Gentiles. They were each assigned different geographic locations, They received their commissions from the Lord. They were were given orders. Their orders were to evangelize and form congregations and also to teach them the basics of Christianity. Again, they're under orders. Paul would say that, I'm a slave of Christ. I am under orders. He would tell tell Timothy, you know, a, a man who is appointed by the God doesn't get entangled in the everyday life. It really is. The military analogy is pretty fitting, actually. You think about how the men in the military, there's a rank order. The generals, and so forth. And then there's also an understanding that they're not going to have a normal life. At any moment, they could be brought and sent to another country. This is the same thing with the apostles. Same thing. That's not true today, necessarily, of the, of the pastors, okay? because we are given to one congregation. Evangelists pick up the same work because there's every generation, we're finding people in different countries that need to hear the gospel. We're finding people in our own country that need to hear the gospel. So that will, that function will continue. But apostles were only in the first generation of the church. Okay, so that's the apostles. But what's second? God appointed what? Prophets to communicate more of his word to those congregations. Paul had a limited amount of time. And so the prophets would come on and they, had, they were divinely inspired. Because the Bible wasn't written yet, they were divinely inspired to communicate other things to the congregations. And their job... Was different than evangelizing. They were charged with speaking the truth. Please go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. The prophets were to communicate more of the word of God and complete a foundation. There's a foundation of truth. The apostles are there first, and then the prophets come along behind them. And when the prophets are done, the foundation is done. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of who? The apostles followed by the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What a beautiful picture. Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles come on and they build part of the foundation. The prophets come on and complete the foundation. And then the whole building, that's the church, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together as a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Then the third thing that would happen back in First 28 of chapter 12, if you go back there one more time, you know, every time, every week, you see the same thing. Right? I'll be in a passage. I'll go back. I'll go out to another passage. Come back. Go out. Come back. I don't know if you have the holy ribbon. Let me see if I have the holy ribbon. I think I do. Come on, there. You know, you can keep the holy ribbon on 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight, and then you can go somewhere else, and then you have the holy ribbon to come back and be there where you need to be again. Anyway, just a little tip. Now you should see me. I, I have had bookmarks. Like like ten of them when I'm studying, you know, because oh that's good, that's from a nice lexicon. Oh, I want that. That's from a this is from a, a, a commentator and so forth. Three Bibles going sometimes because I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you that this is part of the, what I do. You know, as King James, I want to look at that. I want to look at the New American Standard, you know, and so forth. So your job's easy. All you need to do is have one ribbon in one place. That's our passage, and then in any event, back to First Corinthians twelve twenty eight. So then whoops, no. So then he appoints teachers third. Notice, God is appointed in the church. First apostles, second prophets. They complete the foundation. Third, teachers. God makes these appointments in a certain order. What did God appoint teachers to do? He appointed teachers to stand on the foundation. What's the foundation? The fundamentals of Christianity that the apostles started and the prophets completed. Then the teachers come along and they stand on that foundation. Okay, what do they do? Well, they, were, they had their own charge. They had their own charge. It's the same charge as the pastor has today. What is that? Speaking the truth in love. The truth that's already been established in the foundation. And then teaching it over and over again with repetition and patience, and so forth. And then wisely applying the truth. You see, if you remember back in verses 8 to 11, we saw the the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. Remember that? Well, that was a gift at that time. But that continues to be a gift, as it were, that is needed in order to communicate the word of God. You need to have knowledge, and then you need to have the wisdom to make the good application of that. Well, that's what teachers do. They continue to speak the truth. They apply it. The situations of the congregation. And when that, when that happens, the body grows. The body grows. That's the function of the teacher. Verse 28 And God has appointed men in the church. Who are they? Whoops. Sorry, that. He's appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. Notice that it shifts again. All right, the first three are men appointed with a mission. The next one is miracles. It focuses again on the on the, on the gift, the manifestation of the spirit again. First three men. After that, back to the gifts. All right? miracles being one of them. There's a shift back from the from the men back to the gifts. That's important to understand why, because it it separates the first three gifts. As again, being special in a sense, or being of absolute importance and value and have to be there. The word of God must be preached. And so God appoints the men with the mission for that. After that, we're back to the gifts themselves, miracles. Notice about these next two, are the gifts of miracles and gifts of healings. By the way, notice they're mentioned in order. See, then in the Greek, then miracles, then gifts of healings. So they're still given a, um, an order, but they don't have a number. Okay? The last three won't have either. They won't be marked as being in a certain order. And they, and they are not men, they're, they're gifts. They're not in any order of priority, the last three. Now, now it, it, today when we think about the gifts, we say, oh yeah, apostles. Sure, prophets, I see why they should be next. Third, teachers, I get that. That's all about communicating God's word. But why miracles next? How does that fit? And why is that placed next in the order? Well, here's why. You see, the answer is simple. All right? The gifts of miracles, these miraculous displays of the power of God are mentioned right after the communicators. Why? Because of why they were ordained by God. He, he, he had miracles and healings that were given, that were ordained to put his stamp on the message of the apostles and the prophets. Right? But those two in particular. Apostles most of all. In other words, in that first generation when the Bible wasn't written yet and men, apostles, were going from place to place and they brought with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to allow the people to give the message of hearing, in order to convince them that this message really is from the God, miracles were given to men to perform. Gifts of healings were given to the communicators to perform. That's why. He, God puts his stamp on the message by using certain miracles and healings. What's the stamp? This is for me. That's basically what he's doing. And he's saying, look, a miracle. Only God can do it. Look, a healing. By the way, the healings were spontaneous and complete. Okay? The person didn't have to go to the hospital again a year later for that same disease. You know, you, When you have the so-called miracle healings people today, um, first of all, they have these arcane... You ever notice that most of these things are like, well, I've had this pain in my back for two years. And then, poof, you're healed. Right? Well, maybe he never had the pain. Right? How are we going to know? But in any event, it was spontaneous and complete and clear what it was happening. God ordained those miracles and those healings in order that the people who were hearing the message would understand that this message came from God. They may not accept it, but they know now where it's from. You know, he did the same thing, this idea of miracles to put his stamp on a message. He did that over again in the Old Testament, you know, when he was bringing new things on. Like when he brought Moses on the scene and he was to bring the message of the law, he had miracles that were performed. God gave him the ability to perform the miracles, the ten plagues in Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, taking a stick upon a rock and water pours out of it. Those were miracles, but they were there not to entertain They were there to authenticate God's man, Moses, as the one whom they should listen to. Same thing with Elijah. In other words, when a a new wave of revelation comes on the scene, it's marked by miracles. Same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was given authority and power, listen, from his father. He could do nothing by himself. Remember, it was only because in certain situations he was given the authority and the power to perform the healings and miracles that the Father had ordained for him to perform. There are many times where we read in the New Testament that it says he was not able to, to perform many miracles in that town. Okay, but also that he was given for a purpose these miracles and these healings. Let's please turn to Matthew chapter four, verse twenty-three. Let's see this in action. Matthew four twenty-three. Jesus was given the ability by the Father and by the Spirit to perform miracles at certain times and places. Look at Matthew chapter 4.23. Matthew chapter 4.23. I hope you all have the holy ribbon. We're going back to 1 Corinthians 12. Matthew 4.23. Jesus is on the scene now. He is going to proclaim the gospel for the first time to the people. Which gospel? We'll see. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee Teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming. What was he doing? Teaching and proclaiming. In other words, he's communicating the truth. The word of God. What he's communicating is new. They had heard about the Messiah in the Old Testament. But now he's going to say, that's me. <laughs> that's, that's quite a message, right? Well, what did God do? Healing. He gave Jesus the ability to be, heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. He did that here. He didn't always do that. He did it here because for the first time, Jesus was revealing Himself as the Messiah and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that were Israel to have accepted Him as their king, then the kingdom would have been set up. Okay? That's the good news that the Jews were waiting for. He was declaring it, proclaiming it, and miracles, healings of diseases and sicknesses were given to Him in order to mark Him as the Messiah. In other words, the healings and the miracles... The message is the Messiah has come. Healings and miracles testified to that powerfully. And the Jewish people who knew their scriptures, knew the prophets, knew that Isaiah said when the Messiah came, these healings would be performed. And then there he was performing those healings. The Messiah had come. In much the same way, God ordained certain miracles to be performed by the apostles for the same reason, to show that they too were speaking on behalf of God, In Ephesus, for example, Paul Paul taught for two years, for two years, over two years. But then in the end, we are told that all of Asia heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. Imagine that. Here's one man teaching in a certain location, Ephesus. He taught both Jews and Gentiles. And by the end of his time teaching, everybody in Asia, that whole Roman province, today it's all of Turkey, okay? (coughs) <coughs> all of them had heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a miraculous accomplishment, a miraculous achievement for one man teaching in one location, that word to spread the way it did. to all of Asia hearing the word of God. Well, it was a miraculous thing. Please turn to Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Acts 19:11. He had the message. He was proclaiming the word of God, proclaiming the gospel. He taught Jews and Gentiles for two years, and by the end, all of Asia had heard God's word, both Jews and Greeks. He has a message. He's in a new location. He's in Ephesus. Nobody had come there before preaching the gospel. He was the first on the scene. He's an apostle. And, and, and the power behind his message was helped by miracles. Look at Acts chapter 19, verse 11. He's in Ephesus now. He's teaching, at this point, he's teaching in the synagogues and he's just started to move out and teach in the the Gentile school. God was performing. Who? God. Isn't that interesting? Now, notice it doesn't say Paul was performing, does it? No, it says God was performing. Notice how it's worded. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Isn't that interesting? That's an important thing to think about. It wasn't Paul saying, I'm a miracle worker. No, it was God that was performing the miracles using his hands. That's a big difference. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Who was performing the miracles? God. He just used Paul's hands to do it. So who's in charge of this? God. Why did he at this time? work miracles, healings through the hands of Paul. Because he had come to a new geographic location. It was primarily Gentiles. And they had never heard these messages before. And they needed to understand that that message marked as coming from God. It's the same reason we've seen again and again and again. But Paul did not have the power to use at his disposal. See, that's the mistake people make today when they think about miracles and healings. They think about men having the power themselves to perform them. That's foreign to God's word. God was performing them using the hands of Paul. If he wanted to, he could have used the hands of Barnabas. After all, he used a donkey to preach in the Old Testament. So he can use whatever and whoever he wants. There's nothing special. Right? Paul said, I watered and Apollos, you know, "I, I planted, Apollos watered. But who was causing the growth? God. Anybody that God picked could have planted Right? In fact, we know that God's pick was strange. You know, he picked Paul, who, who had uh, uh, terribly abused and persecuted the church. that you know, He wouldn't have been first on my list, right? but he was God's chosen instrument. He knew what Paul would do. He understood this man's heart, and he understood that this is my vessel to go and preach the gospel. So God is the one behind all of this. When he decides, miracles will be performed, and only then. So he didn't Paul didn't heal a person. He didn't heal everyone. He only had the power of healing work through him when God decided it was time. Okay, back to 1 Corinthians twelve twenty eight. First Corinthians twelve twenty eight. And God has appointed in the church, there he is again. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings. Okay, then he just lists three others. Helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. There's no order established. In other words, he doesn't say sixth, helps, seventh, administrations, eighth, various kinds of tongues. He just presents them as additional um, gifts. There's no order established. But I'll tell you this much. It's no coincidence that Paul lists the tongues last. Why is that? I've already mentioned it. Because the Corinthians considered it the first and the foremost. And he's saying, look, I understand that. It's spectacular. Everybody notices it. Ooh, ah, right? Whereas Paul is an apostle. When he made his appearance, remember he was weak and and he had been beaten down and all these things. He wasn't impressive in how he spoke. So the carnal-minded Corinthians could dismiss him as unimportant and really value the man who had that spectacular gift that they thought they could see and then talk about. You know, they wanted to say they were somebody. Well, I'm I'm a friend of this miracle worker who speaks in tongues. You know, Paul's not that impressive. So, So the Lord flips that over. And he says, you have no clue, guys. The most important, the first, the primary, is the apostle to preach God's word, the gospel. That's what matters. And in God's eyes, the tongues were the least important. Think about it. All these other things came before it. So God thought it was the least important. Why? Well, you see, the Corinthians, who do they glorify on the basis of the gift of tongues? Themselves and individuals, right? People. They glorified people. But God's not focused on glorifying people at all. You see, he was focused on glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ by building up the body. That was his focus. He could have used anybody to do those gifts, Okay, what was important, that those gifts were in operation to build up the body. And by the way, this is true today, helps and administrations build up the church. They're absolutely necessary. People have to put themselves in positions where they're serving. People have to have leadership and vision in the church in order for it to grow in an orderly way. And that's what helps and administrations does. Tongues do not do any of that. Okay, helps and administrations are way more important than the gift of tongues in that first generation. They're vital, and still today they're vital for the health and growth of the church. Now we've been looking at lists this morning, and particularly in verses eight to ten, and, and comparing them to verse twenty-eight. Let's go back one more time. I want to point out something to you as we as we close today. First Corinthians twelve. Now back to verse eight, and we'll see this list one more time today. and hopefully i've repeated verse 28 enough that you have a, basically you know what's in verse 28. Want me to repeat it one more time? Okay, fine. God has appointed in the church first apostles on the first day of the church God gave to them no the first apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles then gifts of healings helps administrations Various kinds of tongues. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Let's see the list again in verse eight. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Is that in verse 28? No, through the Spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge. Is that in verse um, 28? No. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. Is that in verse 28? No. To another, gifts of healing? Yes. To another, the effecting of miracles. Yes. To another, prophecy. Yes. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. No. To another, various kinds of tongues. Yes. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. No. Can you see how it's a different list? Some things are taken away. Now, some things are in common. We just saw that. But left off the list in verse 28 are several of the gifts mentioned in verses 8 to 10 the words of wisdom and knowledge and faith, the distinguishing of spirits, and the interpretation of tongues. Now, what's kept in both places? Well, gifts of healings, gifts of miracles, prophecy in various kinds of tongues. But I want you to note that when it comes to prophecy, you see back, in, back here in verses um, 8 to 10, the gift is mentioned as uh, a gift, prophecy. But now in verse 28, it's a man. Prophets. Again, I want you to notice that. So, left off the list, gifts of healings. No, kept. kept Gifts of healings and miracles. See, I'm getting confused. Prophecy and various kinds of tongues. Those are in both. Interesting. Okay. But then, added. Things are added here in verse 28 that weren't in verses 8 to 10. Notice what they were. Apostles, teachers, helps, and administrations. Now they're put in there, and again, Paul wants to have a particular focus on those here. Why would that be? Well, the reason is, is that this sets the order okay, of which tongues is last. See, apostles, prophets, which he's mentioned before, teachers, okay, and then helps and administrations, all before the gift of, prof- of uh, tongues. Now it's interesting, let's go down to verse 29, next verse, we're almost done. All are not apostles, are they? By the way, you should hear echoes here, right? All are not eyes. All do not hear. All do not, you know, have have uh, the. You know what I'm saying? Different. He used the body analogy. Now he's coming right out and saying it. He's saying, "All are not apostles, are they? No, they're not. All are not prophets, are they? No. All are not teachers, are they? Nope. All are not miracle work, workers of miracles, are they? No. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? No." God decides when he wants a healing to, to occur and he identifies and chooses the vessel for it. They, don't, they weren't all chosen. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. And by the way, the, I didn't spend much time on verses 29 and 30. And the reason it is, is that they're here to drive home a fact that he said over and over again. Variety, varieties. Not everybody is the same. Variety of gifts, variety of ministries, variety of effects. But what are the three most important? Apostles, prophets, and teachers. Why? Yeah, communication, and that's what's needed to build up the body of Christ. That's the focus of the Lord. And notice verse thirty one but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, you would be um, fine with saying at this point, wait a minute, all along he's been saying that God appoints, the Holy Spirit distributes, right? It's out of our hands. Now he's saying, earnestly desire the greater gifts. That seems like the total opposite, Paul, of everything you've been saying in this chapter. Well, it would be if we put our individualistic hat on, and, and have this addressed to individuals then it would be. I think you should earnestly desire the gift of tongues, you know? Wink, wink. No, this isn't about individuals. Verse 31 is addressed to the entire congregation as one body. He's saying you all should earnestly desire the greater gifts. In other words, you should be you know, starving and, and hungering for the preaching of the Word of God. Or if the apostles did it. The prophets did it. Teachers do it. That's what you should be zealous about as a body. Not saying that you should, you want the gift, but rather you want the gift functioning to a great way, to a full way in the body of Christ. It's, it's addressed to the congregation. The congregation should earnestly desire the greater gifts to be fully functioning in the body. Isn't that true? I, I remember when... Um, I, I, I was first told I had the gift of pastor, teacher. And I remember getting up there for the first few times and, and teaching. Now, I was not, I was raw, okay? Believe me, I look back at some of my notes and some of the things I taught early on, and I'm like, oh, gee, why did he even say that? And the people must have recognized that, too. But you know what happened, really? They were excited and supportive. Why? Because the gift is flourishing in the church. That's what they should be excited about, that's what they should desire. These gifts to be fully functioning in the body of Christ. One more time, the greater gifts. When he says in verse 31, earnestly desire the greater gifts, you have to go back to the one, two, three. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. He's saying, please, earnestly desire as a group, the communication gifts. Okay, the congregation should earnestly desire that the word of God is communicated with power and fullness in every congregation. Would that that was the desire of so many churches today. Fortunately, it's not. It's not a priority. It's too many. They're more interested in who can be impressive or who can put together these big conglomerations of, of Muslims and Catholics and Christians to go out there and change the world. That's not the church. The church is to have the Word of God preached and that people should be earnestly desiring for that to be happening in a full, rich way but earnestly desire the greater gifts. One more time, I want to emphasize, this does not, not, not mean that individuals should seek out one of the greater gifts. This happens all the time with the the gift of pastor-teacher. There are men who pursue it zealously, right? They think that they have the gift, and they pursue it, and they want it, and they want people to say they have it, but they haven't been appointed to it by God. God appoints, okay? Okay? And he addresses the churches as a whole and says, I want you to desire these communication gifts to be flourishing fully in in play in your congregation. And then he ends with what? I will show you still a still more excellent way. I will show you, I will show you a still more excellent way. Come back next week. Actually, the week after next, because next week is our special Thanksgiving message. I know, believe it or not, Yeah. So next Sunday will be our Thanksgiving message. The Sunday after that, we will get into chapter 13, where we will find out exactly what this more excellent way is. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for who you are. We thank you for giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the word of God being preached. We thank you that the gospel is being preached. We thank you, Father, that every day you provide for us that this is the day that You have given us. And help us to be joyful in all of this, no matter what comes. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Communication gifts. Communicating the Gospel. By the way, every member of the body, this is one of those things, like love, that every member of the body has a part in. Meaning that you're not going to be an evangelist that goes out and have great crowds and preach the Gospel and establish new churches. No. But you are going to have people, your neighbors, your friends, your family. And they're starving for the truth of the gospel, whether they know it or not. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us can never, on our own efforts, measure up to the standard of the law. None of us have kept it all. Nobody ever has except the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a problem. And we also know that if that problem isn't solved, we'll be judged for it and sent to the lake of fire. Every human being has that place, has that situation when they're born. What's the only way out? What's the only answer? It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If somebody hasn't believed in Jesus Christ yet, they're still on that pathway to judgment. They're still dead in their trespasses and sins. They're still falling short of the glory of God. Unable to be reaching the righteousness that's required and headed for the lake of fire. I want you to think of that that way because that will motivate you. And by the way, when they hear the truth and then the gospel is presented, then they either say, you know what? I believe this message. I believe God. I take Him at His word that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He did go to the cross to die for my sins, and that He was raised from the dead, And by the way, raised from the dead is a miracle. It's a miracle we get to proclaim any time we preach the gospel. And then we just tell them, you know what, you don't have to work. You don't have to walk an aisle or give to the church or, you know, any of that stuff. All you have to do is, having heard the message, believe it. Take God at his word. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. All right, next service is Thursday, Bible study, Thursday, November 21st. This week we tackled one of the most difficult passages with respect to eternal security, which has been our subject. That's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. But we're not done with Hebrews. There's one more passage that we're going to take as a problem passage, seemingly calling into question our eternal salvation, and that's in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. So that's where we'll be on this Thursday. I want you to come because I want you to be able to give a reason for the hope that is within you, the hope of eternal life, the hope of the resurrection body, all of that, okay? And the fact that you can never lose your salvation. Once we tackle Hebrews chapter 10, and it's clear, that's clear. If you have an answer for that, then trust me, you'll have an answer for all the others because no nowhere is it challenged seemingly more than it is in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 10. So please, please, please make every effort to join. I want to apologize that we didn't have um, Skype this week. Um, but we will God willing have it next week, so if you can 't make it in person, you can come and join us on Skype again Thanksgiving message next sunday november twenty fourth and uh, as you know we don't um, we don 't collect we don 't pass the basket for, for donations um, we don 't teach tithing because that 's an old Testament tax, but on the other hand, giving is a function of the church all right, and it 's to support all the things we've been talking about today, the flourishing of the body, communication of the Word of God. And, and, but you should do it in, in gratitude for all that you've been given by the Lord. Okay? It's between you and the Lord. Um, I do want to mention once again this week, though, that we, have, that we give three ways. One is there's a back I've got to take a picture of that box because it looks nothing like that. All right? So anytime you're so motivated, that's one thing you can do. We can give it that way. In the mail, we have envelopes, and on our website. You don't know the website, it's www. it's too small to read By the way, you can go to that website and any message that's ever been preached behind the pulpit here is there somewhere. Okay? We also have the materials from Thursday Night Bible studies there. We have links to other ministries. We have so much there. You should explore it and see what's there for you as well. So no price tag. You know the thing that I got, somebody recommends to me, hey, you should really listen to this message by so-and-so, you know. And then I get on there, and either I have to go through hoops to get it, and sometimes you have to, like, pay to get it. That's totally contrary to God's Word. We should never be peddling the Word of God. Therefore, you will never find anything on our website that has a price on it. Freely we have received, freely we give. By the way, that's only possible because of the generosity of many members of this congregation. That's what you support the ability for anybody to hear the Word of God at any time with no strings attached. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this day. We thank you for one another. We thank you most of all for your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask now as we leave, Father, that the Holy Spirit would bring to our remembrance the things we have heard today. And that would, he, would, he would motivate us to, t- to preach good news to those who need to hear it. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have any questions today about the message today or the gospel of Jesus Christ or anything else, um, I invite you to talk to me. I always, I'm up here at the end of service for a little while. I have my Bible, so I have my sword. And uh, you can come and ask me anything you want. All right. You're dismissed to enjoy this great New England day.